I said that so it doesn't keep doing that. <laughs> uh, I got to get this open up too. Hey guys, I am, yes, preparing, preparing for my next queen deep dive. It's really fun to say it that way, queen deep dive. <laughs> I'm sorry, rambling today as I open up this latest episode. And I'm sorry, yes, it's been, it's been almost a week since I did an episode of anything. And that's because life happened. I don't want to talk about it right now because it's kind of intense, actually. But I think I'll open up about it later once I get my head around the deal. But today, I want to get back to the awesomeness that is my boys. Let's talk queen. It is a queen deep dive day. And this is kind of a milestone of sorts. I haven't calculated exactly how many tracks we're going to get through in total. I'm surprised at myself, actually, that I haven't done that yet because (laughs) it's a lot of songs and I've been waiting for the moment that I get to about the quarter way done mark. And I think we might be pretty close. This is dive number 40. Dive number 40, track number six on Queen's fourth album, A Night at the Opera, released in 1975. This is the song, Sweet Lady. Cream cheese, Swiss cheese, cheddar cheese, cheese whiz. Why am I talking about cheese? Well, we will talk about that. (laughs) This song is very noteworthy, particularly when it comes to cheese. But this is all Moody May. This is Brian May and a glorious hard rock number with a punk-ish outro. Punk-ish. Yeah, we're in 1975 going full-on punk-like in the outro of this song. And it's quite surprising when you consider this was before punk got any kind of a foothold. So here we are. Punk polished. At 119 beats per minute, like this perfectly singable, enjoyable tempo. But this is not your typical rockin' number because you know what? We are in 3-4 meter. Very strange. This is like a rock waltz. And there's a very specific reason for this. Of course, most of the things, if not everything, that Queen does is quite intentional. But Brian had certain goals here, and we'll talk about that in more detail. There is a little bit of 4-4 in the bridge. We transition quite seamlessly from 3-4 to 4-4 and back again. And a reminder, if you're not familiar with time signatures, the first number is the number of beats in a measure of the music. And the second number is the kind of note that makes one of those beats. So in this case, a quarter note is taking the place of each beat, and we simply go from three beats per measure to four beats per measure for a period of time before going back to three beats a measure. So, you know, waltzes, one, two, three, one, two, three, da-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na, that that kind of thing. That is a waltz, ladies and gentlemen. And we are in a bit of a rock waltz in the key of E major. Simple, nothing like the previous number, which was also Brian but had a lot more going on in the key signatures. So it's quite cool to see 
the same person in the band go from a marvelously fantastic folk-inspired song and immediately jumping into something much more classic rock. And this is all about a man and a woman in a rut, in a relationship, but in a rut, arguing back and forth, fighting, but hoping to come back together. There's that Brian Silver lining that I love so much. No matter the conflict, he always looks to a peaceful resolution. And I would say that's even true today. I've seen him state quite aggressive and assertive opinions about things, but he always seeks to bridge the gap. And I really appreciate that about Mr. Dr. Brian May. I still think he would be probably the most fascinating for me to have a conversation with simply because of his interest and love and knowledge of astronomy and his general songwriting, which I think appeals to me more than any of the other boys in the band. This is all heavy, at times distorted, and filled with plenty of electric guitar. In contrast to Brian's previous folksy 39, which was very tempered on the electric guitar front, this is one of Queen's more straightforward rockers in both arrangement and style. So like Rogers, I'm in love with my car before it on this same album. Brian has us firmly entrenched in rock and roll. There's minimal harmony chords. There's only six. That's quite a shift from the 15, 20 that we get in previous tracks before it. Makes this a simpler song, though Roger's intense drumming in that 3-4 meter makes up for the lack of the melodic complexity and is very impressive in both technique and the sheer speed. Freddie aggressively attacks with his lead vocals in an appropriate yelling-like manner at times. A very clear, strong chest voice we have from Freddie here. It comes off really well and especially highlights that memorable, though often criticized lyric, you call me sweet like I'm some kind of cheese. There's the first mention of that. We'll talk about it more in a little bit. John lays down heavy bass with occasional riffs, licks, and glissandos. I love to hear glissandos on a bass. If you're not familiar with a glissando, it's literally when you go like this. Uh, it's, that's a glissando. Whether you do it on the, your voice or you do it with an instrument, if you slide on a note like that, it's different than a pitch bend. A pitch bend is just a little bit of a wavering, like, uh, a glissando is literally going from like one note all the way up a whole octave or two octaves or more without lifting from the note. So otherwise, we have rhythm guitars here, three tracks of them to be exact, and electric guitars that dominate this number, surrounded by Brian, Roger, and Freddie's trademark, cleverly layered, very assertive harmonies here. So it was Brian's idea to take this waltz meter and create a very hard and aggressive rock song with it. And it results in a very surprising and interesting energy despite the lack of the melodic variation. This was played 131 times live and the guys rocked it from 75 through 77. So it wasn't on the set list for very long, but the guys had a good time with it nonetheless. And not surprisingly, Brian particularly hit this one hard live with lots of riff variations and aggression, a little bit of 
different kind of flavor from the recorded album version as opposed to the live versions we would get from him, which always made for fun performances. Queen were never into, let's perform this exactly as it was recorded. They always wanted to do something just a little bit different. And I think that's why they shined so bright as a live band. That's where they really thrived, was on the stage. And you can tell this was one that Roger really focused on, and he does a fantastic job with it, despite the very complex and complicated meter we have here. Though it does, to me, it does sound somewhat less fluid or effortless live. In fact, as a whole, this sounds a little less rehearsed, dare I say it. And the guys were constantly rehearsing. They were very big on that. They were very big on, on dialing in everything as best they possibly could. That's another reason they were so great. They were prepared for any instance of a string that breaks or feedback or whatever can happen in a live setting and surely did at some point. The guys were prepared because they practiced and rehearsed so much. So this song, Sweet Lady, live, even Freddie, though he sounds perfectly loud and proud to sing this, he seems to lose a little something. It's difficult to explain it. But the guys push on and give this plenty of glam glitz, playing and performing with ferocity like we would expect them to. And the outro with a double-timed punk-like drumming. It's fantastic with John weaving up and down the scale in a nod to earlier rock and roll. It reminds me a little bit of Johnny Be Good, other early rock numbers. It's very boogie-woogie, bluesy. It's so fun. This outro is glorious, and it's extended, if I'm not mistaken, when they would play it live. Brian gives us improvised solo riff and accents not heard on the album, of course, and then there's a very dramatic pause. The crowd would ring out, scream out, and then a sassy Freddie with Stay Sweet and a fabulously flair-filled outro riff with Raj and the guys closing it down in style. Because on the album, this number fades out with lots of repetitive triad chords and bouncing around between the tonics. So live, they would end it, definitively end it with a pound out of drums. But uh, yeah, on the album, it just goes away and away and away and it fades out slowly. Now about the unusual structure of the song in three, four meter, Brian said, quote, Sweet Lady musically came from a riff and I was fascinated with the idea of a heavy riff in 3-4 time rather than 4-4 four, four, because 3-4 is the time of the waltz. Traditionally, it's a very gentle sound. So the fact that I could find this riff in 3-4, which seemed to have an urgency and heaviness to it, was a fascinating thing for me. Unquote. It's great to get this kind of stuff from the guys. Not every song has a comment that I can find from the boys. A lot of times I have to dig pretty deep. Sometimes I have to listen to interviews again and pick things out. I, I make these ridiculous notes, you guys, of where I heard this and I bookmark things and I save things. I'm like, okay, I got to come back later and reference that because it is the perfect quote. And, and this is one of those quotes where we get an absolutely definitive, this is why I did it this way and I love it. And Rogers also made a statement in Rhythm Magazine more recently in 2002 about Brian's writing this number in such an odd time signature. 
Quote, there's an old song called Sweet Lady, which Brian wrote on a night at the opera. And he was saying, I want it to go like this. And he wanted it to do three different things at once. And that was a bit hard to understand. So supposedly, Roger named this the hardest Queen song to play live and one of the toughest he ever recorded entirely due to the busy drum arrangement in such an odd rock time signature. Whenever I listen to this now, because I know that fact, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm listening really hard to see if, because live, I definitely can tell that, and it's not like Roger makes mistakes or any of the guys make mistakes, but there's something about the head, there, there's almost like the subconscious hesitancy or something going on where it doesn't feel quite so innate, I guess. So when I listen to this song, even on the recorded album version, I'm listening for, is there an obviousness here that this was trickier for any of the guys, Roger included, to get their head around? It's just fascinating to sit back and listen to this. Ray Fox Cumming, who I've mentioned before, who attended the listening party for the entire album, A Night at the Opera, actually criticized this number, calling it the album's only bad track. And that's very interesting. I, I've seen that comment before, actually. I've seen that comment and when I look at other people's rankings for the songs on this album or listen to other podcasts, other people who've talked about this song and the album in its entirety, I see sentiment that kind of aligns with that, that people are like, you know, for whatever reason, this song just doesn't have the same something. And it, it, it maybe it goes right along with what I was saying about there. there's this hesitancy live when it's played. Is it almost feels like... Because this was such an experiment with the meter that it, it, it's not, I don't want to say it's not as good as it could be, because it certainly is complete just as it is and a great rock number. It's just interesting that there's this similar sentiment that floats around out there about this song. And it gets the most attention for that one lyric, you call me sweet like I'm some kind of cheese. With even the biggest of fans wondering and I've seen this comment, literally read this comment. What the heck, Brian? Cheese isn't even sweet. Now, I, I could argue some cheeses. I mean, there are hundreds of them are quite sweet. Cream cheese, anyone? Cheesecake. Okay, maybe that's a stretch. But the whole point of this line is it's very tongue-in-cheek. And there is a moment, of course, in the film Bohemian Rhapsody where Roger and Brian are arguing about why their song, why their own respective songs are so great and the other person's song is awful. And they pick on, Brian picks on Roger's I'm in Love With My Car, which we've talked about before. And Roger literally quotes that lyric back to Brian and says, well, what about this? You call me sweet like I'm some kind of cheese. And then Brian's like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> so... Did they have that conversation? <laughs> I always ask myself those questions. How much creative liberty was taken with these conversations we get? But I'm sure it was out there at some point. I'm sure there was some sort of a dig made by somebody, whether or not it was Roger back at this line, because even I can say that as cute as it is, as cheeky as it is, it just sounds kind of weird, this lyric about calling somebody sweet like cheese. But I suppose that's what makes this so memorable and charming in its own way. It, it is a very catchy, big rock 
number. And like hard hitters before it, like death on two legs, I'm in love with my car. This bursts straight out the gate with layered lead vocals from Freddie that scream and shout and sing aggressively. I mean, we don't normally get two lead vocal tracks from Freddie. This is a very common strategy and production tactic that Roger would take when he would sing lead. But I can't think of a lot of other songs where Freddie is singing lead layered over himself but it brings a lot of aggression with it. We believe this story of lovers in conflict and the lyrics reinforce that. You call me up and treat me like a dog. You call me up and feed me all the lines. But then it resolves with that hopeful sentiment that we talked about with lyrics like, stay sweet, baby, believe, and we've got everything we need. So there's certainly no shortage of conviction or emotion here. Brian, Roger, and Freddie give us these glorious harmony vocals that we love so well with a ton of attitude throughout much of this number. And did you guys know, I've been meaning to talk about this and I'm just now finally remembering to say this, to achieve that trademark queen sound, that surround sound of voices, Freddie, Brian, and Roger would sing every part, every harmony, every main melody lyric, not just the bottom, or the top harmonies. And then they'd layer those takes to create a sound so rich, it's unmistakable. And thus they created their unique and recognizable queen sound. I found this fantastic, this fantastic study, and I should link to it at some point, that specifically explains, breaks down exactly how these guys achieved what they did in the studio as a foursome, especially when it comes to the vocals, which are so loved and well-known in that particular arrangement production style. Yeah, these guys sang so much in the studio, you'd never realize that they were doing so many of the vocals over and over again. If you listen to, and I will talk about this much more extensively in a few deep dives, if you listen to recordings of just vocals for Bohemian Rhapsody, you will understand very quickly just how many times the guys sang over and over and over to get that huge wall of voices in a song. It's so impressive. I'm going to talk about it some more. But yes, they did that here. Of course, not to the extent that you hear on Bohemian Rhapsody, but they did that here. So besides the rock and roll stamp in Sweet Lady, in this number, we get a little bluesy, a little throwback early rock and roll from John's bass lines, how fun they are, especially toward the end. All, as I said, boogie woogie, very fast arrangements, bluesy, loud, and Roger's drums are always super impressive and immaculate. His transitions here, Though they may occasionally sound a bit hesitant live, they're polished, perfected, snares on every beat, lots of cymbals, and a chorus full of syncopation and interesting riffs. I mean, no wonder this was such a complicated number to perform live, let alone record it in the studio. Lead guitars gallop chromatically, a bit all over the place in a perfectly organized mess of melodies, and rhythm guitars strum along in pentatonic fashion. Freddie's singing is marvelous, darling. Roger's drumming is commanding. And John has what sounds to be 
a fabulous time on his bass. But Brian's guitars are front and center, as they should be, wailing away on this raucous number that packs plenty of punch, panache, and power, the sheer power of it all. Having said all that, oddly enough, and this is where I might surprise you, this is one Queen song that I like less than I did after lots and lots of listens. Why? It's fun, yeah. It's energetic and a bit edgy, but... I think it's because it's not as adventurous or complex or interesting. It's more straightforward rock and roll, sure. And if that's your thing, you'll love this. But I think for me, this sweet lady kind of pales a bit in comparison to so many other Queen songs. I find the meter intriguing, and that makes this song more interesting to listen to. But for reasons I really can't explain... This isn't one of my favorites, and that's super sad, too, because I love me some Moody May. I love Brian's songs. So while I love the energy from the guys here, and I love how they tackled a really unique arrangement in rock and roll, I think because this lacks the same variation of chords and the melodic diversity I love so much that's very typical of Queen, it ranks lower on my personal list. It's really weird, you guys. When I first started listening to A Night at the Opera, more often after I bought the album, this was actually one of the songs I kind of enjoyed more. And, and I think it's just because of the sheer energy of the guys. But, but because I picked apart so many songs now and I've, I've heard every song so many times as well, there's simply something about this that just lacks the same heart and, and complexity and interesting emotional melodies that I love so much, especially when you compare Brian's other compositions like White Queen as it began, which is so heartbreaking. And when you listen to things like Father to Son, which is another Brian number, I'm trying to think of, you know, Brian's numbers. And this one just, I love it for what it is. But yeah, if I was going to rank every single Queen song that Brian wrote, this probably wouldn't be near the top. It would probably be somewhere in the bottom half. I still love me some Brian, of course. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like, Brian, you let me down. That is not true. This is a great number just as it is, even if there is a little silly line in it about cheese. I do love cheese. But the more the merrier, right? I mean, cheese, don't we all love cheese? Isn't it okay? Doesn't that make it okay <laughs> for there to be a line about cheese in this Queen Deep Dive? Ladies and gentlemen, Sweet lady. Yeah, go listen to Sweet Lady. It actually is quite fun to sing to. It's pretty straightforward rock, which I think gives it a nice, if you want to let some steam off your chest, if you want to let something go, I think this is a great number to do that with. It's similar to other songs. Well, I don't want to talk about them yet, but there's there's a few songs that I love specifically because they're great for screaming out on a really bad day. And this is actually a great number for that purpose. But in general, it's just a fun song to listen to. So definitely check it out. Go listen to Sweet Lady Live. Go find a live performance or two. There's bound to be some of them out there from 75 through 77. And tell me what you think. Does this sweet lady pale in comparison for you too a little bit? Or is it something that you really, 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 really love? I'll be back again next time. Keep yourselves alive. I'll probably be back with another Queen Deep Dive. And yeah, I'll tell you guys a little story about what happened <laughs> this week later. All right, guys. Until next time. Bye.